Hello and welcome to Consumer Choice Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in on Saga 960 AM or on Coastal Carolina Network. I'm one half of your host, Yael Osaski. It's a bit rainy, it's a bit wet, uh, but we're here to present to you Consumer Choice Radio as we always do. And I'm joined by my friend on the other end, David Clement. David, how goes it? Oh, it's going well. It's going well. The weather um, has been absolutely beautiful. Uh, it is about the same temperature these days in the greater Toronto area as it is in uh, Lisbon, Portugal, where you and I will be uh, seeing each other next week uh, to see all that Portugal has to offer. Strange world out there. And do you think we're going to do this thing where we promise to record uh, our program and then we just um, enjoy too much of the uh, local delicacies that we absolutely have no energy to do so? <laughs> <laughs> no, this time we are going to actually record. It's okay. going to happen. All right. And our, yeah. our colleague Bill Vietz uh, will be there as well, and he'll uh-huh. uh, likely record an episode of Consumer. Uh, for those of you mm-hmm. interested in European affairs, um, I am bringing additional mics, and uh, I, th- I think Bill's mic is still uh, still stuck in his bag at Frankfurt Airport. <laughs> I've never met a person who who loses his bag, or has the airline lose his bag more often. Like poor guy. It's either that or it's uh, yeah. I think I think he must have like probably the most standard like you know, bought at Walmart type luggage ever <laughs> that just looks yeah. like every other bag. That's kind of the problem. That's why you need something unique. You need something unique. You need leopard skin. You need to have camouflage, yeah. like put something on there. Exactly. Oh, well, so that goes that. Um, uh, one news. Um, so obviously we're broadcasting on Saga 960 AM Saturdays at 1 PM. Um, in the uh, greater Peel region of Ontario. But the Coastal Carolina Network does have a new app available in the iOS um, and Android stores for those of you who are listening down in North Carolina. So we've got the Carolinas up to uh, Ontario and then the world through podcasting uh, who are listening in and able to listen in Saturdays at 1 p.m. Eastern. um, And the rest of you can listen in whenever. Um, David, it's been a busy couple of weeks. We've been... um, We've been writing a lot. We've had a lot of different issues. Definitely want to talk about what's happening with the Trudeau Foundation and uh, the CCP influence. Uh, but first, let's do a little bit of um, organizational promo. Uh, you had an article down in uh, Minnesota Nuts, um, and this one is about um, geopolitics. That's fun. And uh, yeah. some PFAS and uh, microchips and all the rest. So uh, give the, uh, the listeners a little bit of a preview, and then we can, we can bat this around. Yeah, so essentially, there's these chemicals, PFAS, they're used to create semiconductors, microchips, the things that <clears throat> make a lot of the your consumer electronics work. They're a very vital um, input in that process to make microchips, and the Biden administration is, in, is dumping billions of dollars to try and reshore chip production in the United States so that they don't have to rely on China. Makes a lot of sense. Um, But at the same time, there have been pushes to phase out these chemicals, um, kind of regardless of how they're used, or regardless of whether they present any risk to consumers, because there are some instances where they do, um, but there are a lot of instances where they don't. 
And so what that is going to mean if the U.S. doesn't produce these chemicals anymore, they're going to have to import them. Where are they going to import them from? They're going to import them from China. Um, and that creates a geopolitical kind of domino effect um, in regards to Taiwan, because if the Chinese invade Taiwan, those imports likely end. Microchip production in the United States grinds to a halt. And uh, we've seen the chaos that that causes just with cars. Um, upwards of 200 billion in lost revenue when there was a chip shortage uh, for cars. And so imagine multiplying that by everything um, that needs chips. And so um, super niche topic, but um, it is one where policymakers seem to be realizing the complications of it. Uh, ranking Democrat Betty McCollum from Minnesota uh, essentially agreed um, with my line of argumentation. In fact, she wanted to mandate that one of the companies who makes these chemicals in the U.S. be mandated to continue to make them on uh, on national security grounds. So uh, it's nice to see Democrats come around, um, and we'll see what happens next year. All right. So um brings up an interesting quandary, because you're doing a little bit of um, you know fortune-telling, looking into the future. And it's true, if we have in, I hate to use the term Western world, but let's say Western world, meaning, you know, US, Canada, Europe, if there is some kind of war scenario that comes with China, we can assume they would attempt the Russian sanctions playbook, right? That's pretty, you think that would be something that would be discussed or, yeah, it's no matter the impact, right? Right. The the imports of these chemicals are going to stop either because the United States sanctions China and it becomes illegal to import these chemicals or China stops their facilities from sending from exporting, which they could do because it would cripple the U.S. economy um, in the process. I mean, think about everything that needs microchips. Um, from military applications to um, video games. I mean, from the most serious of the serious to um, the most trivial. Um, and so by like essentially flicking a switch, the Chinese could cripple the U.S. economy, whom are trying to, uh, or and the, and the U.S. military, whom are trying to support Taiwan defend itself. And this is where things get really dicey. So they could grind the global economy to a halt uh, because of something that they, they stop um, out of China. Uh, for example, perhaps, you know, a virus out of a lab or something. <laughs> 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 um, no, but I, I think it's, it's, it's a very good point and one that does, that's very necessary to think about because um, as we've seen in the last three years, you know, supply chains and all this stuff, it's very complicated. It's built up over time. And many people are reliant on them. I mean, if we just look at the, the number of, of things that, are, that touch Chinese land or Chinese fingers, as it were, in terms of consumer products, you know, it's, I, I don't even know what the number would be. But in terms of percentage, I would assume, you know, we're talking high 40s, 50s, maybe even more, particularly in North America. Uh, Europe less so just because of the logistics. But this is the kind of stuff that 
it's good to be thinking about early and hopefully serves as some kind of deterrent because China also, unless they're really willing to cut their own throats, you know, you would think that this would be some kind of deterrent for them because they still want people in North America and Europe to buy their stuff. But perhaps it'll come to the, this kind of Russia conclusion that, well, this piece of land and our pride and our nationalism is just worth it much more than, you know, whatever bottom money that we take in at the uh, end of the month. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it just depends. How bad do they want to take Taiwan? <laughs> and what, like, it's almost like a who's going to blink first. And I think Biden has been... There's a weird thing going on here with, with Biden where when he's asked, he has a very kind of, yes, we will militarily defend Taiwan. And then, the, and then his aides always walk it back. And I'm not under, I don't understand why they have this back and forth silliness. Uh, Even worse than that. Um, so the term that's used in um, Canadian and American politics is one China policy, meaning yeah. that, you know, in terms of the actual government and how it views relations, it views just one China, and that includes Taiwan. Mm -hmm. And I heard Lin Lindsey Graham, um, our favorite South Carolina son, <laughs> um, I think he might have been on Tucker or some other show, but he mentioned, like, he was very hostile towards CCP, saying we need to, you know, watch out, be vigilant. And then he said, you know, but, you know I'm still in favor of a one-China policy, which I found super strange, because you would assume if you're Why? willing to call out CCP and say you're going to defend Taiwan, you would just say, well, this one-China. So there's something tied with the one-China policy. I don't know if it relates to some military, like, National Defense Authorization Act category or something. Something is a bit strange with that, and I, I, I don't know exactly what it is. I think we'd need like some kind of legal expert because it's very strange that he would still say that. And nobody yeah. says we, we need to totally get rid of one China policy either. I do. Well, you do, <laughs> you, you, but you, sir, have not yet been elected uh, by those in your writing um, to represent these views um, on behalf of uh, Foreign Affairs Canada or whatever we have. Uh, uh, Melanie Jolie, who's able to do this or not able to do this, depending on your view. Yeah, probably more the latter, but uh... yeah, the European <laughs> stuff, uh, obviously interesting. <laughs> it's coming on the heels of um, Macron. Um, mm -hmm. Macron gave a speech in The Hague. Um, I don't know why he chose The Hague, by the way. Strange. Very strange. Um, Netherlands is weird, and I love all the the questions from the students, just typical Dutch. It's like, so, Mr. President, it's like, so what do you think we should do with it? And I just love the Dutch accent. Um, and he gave a big speech basically saying, look, Europe has to, you know, make its own path. We can't be too reliant. And, you know, bringing up China and Taiwan. And he said, hey, look, we can't always orient our, ourselves towards the U.S. We have our own interests. We have our own way of doing things. We can't just do trade deals for trade deals sake. We need to make sure there's environmental stakes in there, blah, blah, blah. Essentially put, planting the flag of, you know, U.S. Pax Americana or EU-U.S. cooperation is over. And I think that's um, pretty rich coming from this guy, considering he's got protests brewing in his own country and has lived through the yellow vests, les gilets jaunes, who took over yeah. the streets. So if 
you know, they're orienting towards or away from the U.S., you know, what's the point of having the bases there? So we should probably remove a couple of these bases and then see what happens uh, to that social spending, because all the money that normally would be spent on military in these European countries can be put into the welfare state. So if you think your retirement age is, you know, super low at uh, 64, uh, I'm sorry, son, but you're going to have to raise it to 72 if you want to afford things. Well, and this is the thing. I like they I, I, I don't know the internal workings of those protests in France to like actually make too much of an informed comment, but the writing is on the wall is my understanding. They have no choice. I mean, it's the same thing here. The population pyramid gets too skewed and you really don't have a choice because you have benefits that need to be paid out as soon as people hit whatever the retirement age is and they're living longer. Like if you're retiring at 62 and living to 90, I mean, that's 28 years. That's, that, that is just slightly less than the time you were in the workforce. That's probably not good. No, and um, the problem is that they've always inevitably delayed and delayed and delayed, and that's kind of been the issue in France. And France is a different country. They don't really have decentralization of power. So whenever there's any of these decisions, it's essentially Macron's government, and that's how it goes. But man, to see this happening and the protests, and he's going on trying to be like the Merkel 2.0, um, yeah, this um, I think it raises a lot of questions. And I, I think a lot of the... Europeans perhaps are getting a bit too big for their britches. And, um, you know, look, uh, Russia's just next door. And you don't know what their plans are beyond Ukraine. You don't know if there are other inclinations that they have. Or, I mean, they're, they definitely already have troops in Moldova. You know, it's not too hard to cross the border, go to Romania and a couple of these other countries. And, um, there's still a lot of natural gas that they need to get to market. So I don't really know what's going to happen there. Putin. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Putin, Putin, Putin. Oh, what else do you got on the go here? Yeah, yeah. Well, what's... Uh, on I the guess... go. Yeah, I think um, we'll, we'll go to break now. Uh, but when we come back, um, we can talk about a couple of things. Definitely want to talk about Trudeau's situation. I also want to talk about electricity prices, because there's an mm -hmm. insane proposal in California nuts uh, that we just have to discuss. <laughs> uh, so... We'll, we'll discuss that when we're back here on Consumer Choice Radio. And welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio. I'm broadcasting here on Saga 960 AM and the Coastal Carolina Network and right there in your pocket on podcasting and podcasting 2.0 new podcast apps.com as i drop my phone david we had a couple of topics i mentioned before where do you want to go are you we um we want to go to the um influence peddling by ccp yeah, in uh, I think canada so. i think all right that's where we give us go. the latest updates um give us the latest updates there um from uh ccp protectorate uh, known as uh, the government of canada yeah so uh, according to la presse um the Trudeau Foundation. Uh, Not often saw, that you cite uh, French Canadian um, media as your source, but I love this. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, well, they did break the story. Um, 
which is really good because I like to see. Okay, two two quick asides. One, I like to see um, francophone media doing some of the heavy lifting um, and the digging on government. Um, I don't know if it doesn't usually exist, and I don't see it because I'm an Anglo and I don't read like I don't. I'm not scrolling through French outlets and translating articles, or if there's just not a lot of crossover where things are covered. First I think it's the latter. They yeah. rarely cover federal government stuff. And yeah. If they do, it's just, oh, this Quebec MP did X and Y. Yeah. Protect supply management or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, the second thing is shame on the CBC for ripping the press's article without quote, without citing them. Just awful. Oh, is that journalism. the state broadcaster that's doing this? Yes. They do this all the time. They do this all the time. Well, they'll take headlines from somebody else, and you are supposed to say, as originally reported by X, then you give your description of whatever. They never do that, and it drives everybody who writes nuts. Um, so, real quick, yeah, what, what has happened Best is... Best line, the by the way, since you mentioned CBC, sorry. Best line by Polyevre. Uh, was talking about getting rid of the government buildings. It's like, oh, I imagine yeah, the yeah. family with their newly packed U-Haul going into this beautiful new building, the former headquarters of the CPC. <laughs> I mean, that would actually be some pretty prime real estate because that's right on, uh, on Front Street, I believe, in Toronto, like right downtown, right near Union. Um, so that would be a great, I mean, that would be a great place to live, right in the mix. Um, I, I, I shotgun the CEO's old office. That's, that'll be my house. Right, all right. Well, we'll put you on the list. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, essentially, the Trudeau Foundation had received money from uh, a Chinese billionaire whom was reimbursed from the Chinese government. And the idea is that the, China, the, the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, are essentially trying to influence Petal um, through the Trudeau Foundation. And then... Um, the original response was, oh, people are just trying to politicize this charity. This is bad, like the original liberal response. Um, then the foundation says, oh, actually, okay, yeah, we, this did happen. We're going to return the money. Like, our bad, we're going to return the money. So it kind of sits and nobody hears anything. And everyone's like, well, did they end up returning the money? And then the press breaks the story that they couldn't return the money because the tax receipts don't line up it's actually linked to like a state owned or a state affiliated company the addresses don't match and then the reporters have gone to the alleged address in hong kong and it's never existed um there and there's another tenant and it's like some real shady fake stuff so it's not even from a person this is like a transfer um all the while, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is claiming that people are just trying to politicize a charity and the likes of Jerry Butts and a bunch of members of parliament, liberal members of parliament are talking about, oh, the conservatives are politicizing another charity. Look what they did to the WE charity. They're just doing this to the Trudeau Foundation. And last but not least... Um, basically, in the internal review of all of this, pretty much most of the board of directors of the Trudeau Foundation resigned 
Um, and so it's quickly falling apart. <laughs> and we can see that. And, um, you know, the we charity, yet another sort of circumstance of attempting to, and look, we know this very well. Um, the Clinton Foundation um, was a big thing in the U.S. And you had a lot of the Arab dictators that gave a lot of money to uh, Bill Clinton so he could, I guess, put books in his library in Arkansas or wherever it is. <laughs> and he got those meetings and, yeah, assume what you will. And the same playbook um, in Canada, We Charity, now Trudeau Foundation. Should politicians even have foundations, I think, is a, is a good question, because it, it seems to be... Uh, look, we, uh, David, we work in the nonprofit space. Um, we understand that there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, I would say, scrutiny on spending and tech. But apparently, if you're connected to a politician, you can just accept money from absolutely anywhere and not have any issues. So, I <laughs> yeah, know. I know. Um, are you saying this check, you know, it, it says on there, it's an e-interact that came directly from Xi Jinping, you know, that's essentially what's going on. Um, but I wanted to play a clip uh, related to this because you mentioned the last part. Uh, Trudeau's response now is to say, oh, they're politicizing this and, you know, shame on the opposition, shame for what they're doing on a charity. You know, they they put food, uh, you know, in front of homeless people and put clothes on their back. I mean, I have no idea actually what the yeah. foundation does, uh, but let's listen to, uh, we've got Alan Rock, former liberal industry minister. Um, so he's being wheeled out. Um, he's not in a wheelchair. He's just fairly old, but he's being wheeled out to do a little bit of a defense uh, for the government. Well, I'm sad. And frankly, I'm angry at the nature of the attacks being made against the foundation these days. I was going to ask you because you seem to come to it with a lot of emotion. I can, I can tell I you're, you're attached to the, to the concept. So what, what has been going through your mind as, as you're kind of reading these details emerge and then also the reaction to it? Well, I guess I, I respond on two levels. First of all, there's Pierre Polyev. I think we're learning more about him than we are about the Trudeau Foundation as a result of the nature of these attacks. The attacks are... Yeah, why do you think we're not learning more about the foundation, dude? All right, let's keep going. Oh, what a terrible day. Irresponsible, highly partisan, and typical of Polyev and the way he does business. It's sad to see uh, politics descend to this level. I mean, I spent 10 years over there. I'm no babe in the woods when it comes to politics. But I know a smarmy, glib uh, snake oil salesman when I see one, and it's Pierre Polyev. Wow. Do they really think this is effective? <laughs> snake oil salesman? I mean, the, I, I just the gall. I, love, love, I just love watching all of this because, like, everything is, that's not going to age well. That's not going to age well. And, like, the example of Jerry Butts being like, all oh, the conservatives are going after another great charity. He tweeted that before. Um, all the board resigned, and basically it came out that, like, oh, yeah, there's something fishy going on here. Um, it's like, how many times are you going to set yourself up to be dunked on before you stop? Yeah. I mean, it won't be by the CBC, but it will be by the growing independent media force that exists in Canada and elsewhere. It will be by social media. And these clips now live forever. Like, I will save this MP3 and we can play it again, <laughs> you know, next year. And we'll see how it's playing. And 
obviously, if you're the P.I. Poliev team, if you're the uh, essentially the leader of the opposition and you're you know re- getting ready for an election at any time, I'm putting this stuff in my folder on my desktop and making the most beautiful <laughs> ad of all the hypocrites, <laughs> yep. of all the things they've said, and over just going to play and that. Over and over. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, man, I think that this is... Um, you know, I've I've been paying attention to politics like you have, David, for a long time, and it's really interesting to see how it goes from left to right, you know, liberal, conservative, Republican, you know, whatever, and you just kind of see the same stuff over and over and over and over again, and it seems as if nobody has a memory, uh, because I could, a lot of this stuff is pretty template from every other political situation ever. This side is saying, nothing is wrong here, why the house is on fire, it's like, come on. <laughs> Well, it's usually I keep seeing this from members in Liberal Caucus because like the the saying is Canada is broken, and there are like one in four kids are are using food banks, things like that, and um, it's like and, <laughs> and they just basically go and they post a graph about whatever stat that they've picked that day where Canada doesn't perform poorly and they're like, no, see, Canada isn't broken. And it's like, that is a hell of a campaign strategy. To just look at voters <laughs> and be like, no, you're wrong. Hey, you know the stores, they still open at 8 a.m. Canada's not broken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. and. Wrong. um we don't have a segment for uh, Mark Gerritsen tweets. Um, not that I would want to uh, turn the audience off, but uh, he, he had a, a good choice. And this guy is um, it's still, my contention, the most unserious parliamentarian in any oh, Western yeah. democracy alive. Yeah, he's a buffoon. Buffoon. He's I like buffoon. buffoon. That's good. I like buffoon. I mean, he, he, he's literally just a caricature of... Like what rabid partisanship looks like, and he has no, like, he has no self awareness, and the combination of the two, just make for someone who gets dunked on all the time, all the time. And I think it's not even that he doesn't have self awareness. I think he's not read in on anything at all. It, you yeah, know, it seems like he's a guy who's just left locked outside of the important room. And he's just like, hey, uh, Mark, go tweet something and uh, take the heat off of yeah, us. And, and just go like take a, a bullet. He's, <laughs> he's appointed himself as like the chief Twitter officer. and but, but no one's really signed off on it. And so I think they use him for like message testing. And it's like, oh, does this work? <laughs> oh, no, it doesn't. Sorry, Mark. <laughs> You look like an idiot. And the guy, on this one. <laughs> the worst part is he's locked his tweets. So the only people who can respond are people he follows. And that's like, it's a smaller number each and every day. Um, not a serious person. Um, speaking of that, there's one thing um, that's kind of interesting. In the US, uh, there's a lot of talk about older politicians. Did you see yeah. this stuff about uh, everybody nagging uh, Dianne Feinstein to resign her Senate seat in California yeah. nuts? I mean, I agree. She's definitely too old, probably. But uh, well, let's check this in real time. Uh, find so. What, how old do you think she is? Just off the top of your head, eighty-eight. So she is. Oh boy, she's got a. She was born in nineteen thirty-three. Eighty-nine <sighs> years old. 
Oh my god. 33? 1933. Yeah. 33. 1933. That's the year that the US confiscated all the gold. <laughs> she remembers the war. She's old enough uh, to remember the war. She was probably a nurse in the war or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> Queen Elizabeth, who knows. <laughs> Think about that. And she this, would have been you know, 5 not, when World War 2 broke out. She would have it's been not what, about being seven? ageist. At yeah, well, it's not about. Well, I mean, she would have been ten years old, you know, towards the end of it. So she was celebrating, uh, hearing stuff on the radio or on the turntable or on the gramophone or whatever. <laughs> and it's not to be ageist; it's just that California is like a super dynamic, large. I mean, it's essentially it's its own country, fifty million people or something, and they're represented by someone who, you know was able to, I don't know, see Jimmy Stewart live <laughs> when he was doing plays, I don't know, in the 40s, I don't know. Um, so interesting, and, you know, she's had some good clips and stuff. I think we talked uh, last week about her uh, being in, the, in this meeting with the young kids, and they yeah. were saying, you need to do something about climate change. And she's like, well, can you vote? Yeah. Did you vote for me? <laughs> No? Okay. Well, I, I listen care. to my constituents. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, she is, uh, she is lovely. But we'll hear more about that and other lovely folks uh, when we come back to Consumer Choice Radio. I've got, um, I've, I've got some other California news, Dave, that I want to get to. Uh, there's this crazy, wacky electricity proposal. And uh, I want to hear your thoughts on that. We'll be back here on Consumer Choice Radio. All right, and we're back here on Consumer Choice Radio. David, I teased a little bit of stuff here in the last segment. Let's zoom in on California, and let's see what's happening with the Utilities Commission. Yes. So have you heard about this yet? Am I breaking news to you, or you already know? Uh, you're breaking news to me. All right, beautiful. This is my, fa- this is my favorite segment of the show. All right, so let's... Um, Let's go look at this. We've got the largest utility company in California. It's known the, the Pacific Gas and Electric Company. And it is basically the public utility um, for most of the California people. So they have essentially are a kind of state-owned, state-controlled entity that does have some private um, shareholders, but essentially is run by the government. So they have to respond to a bill that was passed. Um, I believe last year, AB 205. Um, it's a very convoluted piece of legislation, but essentially, they basically say that um, the things with the electricity are going haywire, and the state utilities need to devise a plan whereby they have equitable access to electricity. So what they've proposed here, PG and E, monthly bills would be broken out into two parts. There'd be a fixed infrastructure cost, which everyone has to pay. And then your electricity costs would be tiered by your customer income level. Wait, what? So you would be charged more depending on your income. And everybody would pay below this cap. There would be a cap. I believe it's something like $140 maximum per month. If you're a low-income person, you would pay the very low tier of that. You'd have to pay that fixed infrastructure cost, which is only like $25. 
And then the higher you go up the income bracket, um, basically you pay more. Now, here's, here's the, the funny thing about this. There's no measurement of how much you use. It's only what your income is. So oh boy. the actual price of electricity per household is basically capped and usage will not matter anymore. Could you see anything happening, David, with perhaps people plugging up 18,000 Bitcoin miners in every single household in California? <laughs> yeah, energy usage is going to go through the roof. And, it, and it's essentially supposed to be for the uh, low-income folks. Um, but basically this means that you know, yes, every customer is going to be true, but this company was go is going to go bankrupt or California will go bankrupt. I don't know. Or they're going to have blackouts and brownouts yeah, like South have, Africa. They're going, have, and... they're going to have brownouts. They're not going to have a choice. I mean, if, it, it, if someone said to you, gas is going to cost it for your car, it's going to cost X amount of dollars per month, no matter how much you use it. What are you going to do? We're going to Vancouver. We're going yeah. to Yosemite. Yeah, <laughs> you were going to maximize every kilometer you you can to make sure that you get your money's worth. It's the same with energy. They're like, oh, you're going to pay 150 bucks a month, regardless of how much you use. Well, I'm going to get my 150 bucks worth. It's essentially an all-you-can-eat buffet from your outlet. <laughs> I mean, I, I could envision you. I could envision you in your your new man cave. You're hooking up, you know, two deep freezers. You'll have a big old beer fridge. You'll have a wine fridge. <laughs> oh, I, it would be it would be insane. I'd get the the Traeger pellet grill plugged in. Oh man, making me jealous. Actually, yeah, well, that's a good question. If you had unlimited, or, I'm sorry, if you had capped um, electricity uh, costs, oh, I'd, I'd have a hot it didn't tub matter. What, what would you hook up? Hot tub tomorrow. Guaranteed, hundred percent. Right, because those things are can be can be, especially in the winter, can be expensive relatively to run. It's not like a beer fridge, um, but if you're paying the same amount for energy, regardless, bam, hot tub done. Do you have heated floors in your bathrooms? No, but we probably would. I'd actually oh, probably yeah, you heat would. the you driveway. Upgrade. Probably heat the driveway <laughs> so you don't have to shovel. That's like the ultimate flex. Which is completely out of my income bracket, like something I would never even remotely consider. But if the energy is essentially free, because that's well over the whatever I would be paying, if it's essentially free and you're not paying necessarily for the usage of heating your driveway, well then yeah, I'm probably going to run the pipes or the wires under the driveway so I never have to shovel in the winter. I mean, yeah, you put those heating elements in your roof. So you don't get any snow on the roof. You put yeah. it out in the backyard. I mean, you didn't. I would. I mean, if I were you, I. You got a big backyard. I'd install a pool. Yeah. You know, and, and make a little complex so it's heated all year long. No, I would install a pool, but the temperature for the pool would be like ninety-two degrees in the winter. <laughs> it's like minus thirty out, and the pool heater is just ripped to 92 and there's steam coming off it at all time nice little backyard oasis in the winter Whew. so they're calling this the equitable rate reform and um, there's been a number of newspapers in california where you've had a lot of people writing in who are supportive of this 
Um, there's been a lot of political groups, uh, unions, for some reason. And um, I guess there's just not a single economist left in California. I think they all just went to Texas or something because um, nobody's <laughs> looking at this and saying, huh, looks like it's a tragedy of the commons in the making that yeah, maybe will make don't. California a third world country. Maybe don't. Um, oh, that is wild. I mean, to cap the I mean, look, they discussed a. Um, electricity cap and they did do this in the uk as a temporary measure mm -hmm. but it was a temporary measure because electricity went through the roof like very quickly um much the same with uh, the house heating uh, home heating costs and in austria when they discussed it they said well we could never afford like nobody could actually afford if we capped it so let's just like you know give people more money everybody gets a you know rebate which still bad idea but you know you're not taking all of the uh, signals from the electricity market and turning them on their head. I mean, this is wild. I, if, um, I think it's a good time, David. I, this is not financial advice, but um, yeah, if you know how shorts work, uh, the Pacific Gas and Electric Company is, uh, might be something to put on the Talk with your stockbroker. It uh, might be interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, that's, that's, not, that's a public company, though, right? It's not a private company. Well, no it does have it. shareholders. It does have shareholders. It's, it's a strange mix to where like the, the state of California like owns part of it, but there are still private shareholders. Uh, it's a bit weird. I think the electricity markets generally have a problem. Um, they're not because a lot of the electricity stuff has been built up over decades and decades. You know, we haven't had real reform and there's only been a few countries that have done like really good, true electricity reform. Uh, I know I that like in the this, Middle East, some countries have done it, but not I feel many like others. this is the scene from The Big Short, where um, where Steve Carell leaves the strip club and and makes a phone call and he's like, "Give me a billion dollars worth of swaps. It's going to collapse." <laughs> like that's how I feel right now. Like, how do I bet against this? And and how much money could I put towards betting against it because it's going to fail so bad. So yeah, they're on the S and P five hundred. Uh, they're one of the biggest things. Oh man, their Wikipedia is going to get slammed here. My lord, um, this is um, I, I don't know. Are, are they just maybe there's a backdoor thing? I mean, they've they filed for bankruptcy many times. I think four, three or four times because of like wildfires and stuff. They've got to have some kind of backdoor deal where like the state of California taxpayers just pay way more. Yeah, I mean. Oh, dear Lord. What is wrong with these people? This is, well, it, it is equitable uh, electricity reform, David. And um, the equitable stuff is um, now we've turned that definition up and down and all around. Hey, uh, related to this, you saw what happened in Tennessee, right? What do you mean, with the lawmakers getting kicked out? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty wild. What did you, you, you think about this from a... Um, because you're you're someone who respects you know parliamentary procedure and these kind of things. What did you think about this whole scenario? Because uh, unfortunately, it seems like there there's a lot of misinformation, weird stuff flying around. And now we've we've got a couple of dim heroes who are like the new, um, you know, what was the Texas guy's name? Who was the gun guy? Huh? Bo? No, what's his name? You know who I'm thinking of. I don't think I do. Who ran against Ted Cruz? 
Oh, oh, uh, Beto, Beto, the guy who Beto. used a fake so name. So they're creating new Betos where, like, everyone around the country will give money to these guys in all yeah. their political ambitions, and it's just like... I don't, I don't, I don't even understand what their, can, can, what the potential violation is to remove them. Well, no, okay. Well, you definitely haven't seen it because essentially there was a mob that was outside doing a rally for, for uh, gun control. And basically they were outside and then these representatives brought them inside. They opened the doors and they brought them into the chamber. And then all these people like basically were yelling and shouting and had bullhorns and stuff in the chamber while like legislative stuff was happening. Yeah. So they're trying to like do some bill to rename a post office or something like that. <laughs> And like all these people are yelling and screaming and have bullhorns and the, the two reps, or I think it was three reps, but the two, the two reps who did get expulsed had the bullhorns themselves. <laughs> so what does that but, mean? Yeah. That they're just not lawmakers anymore? No, no, no. It just means like they're removed from sitting for like, I think it was like a month or a couple weeks or something. So they just couldn't oh, vote on stuff. Out. It's a timeout. Yeah, it's a timeout. But according <laughs> yeah. to um, many in the media and to um, Kamala Harris, um, you know, this is the, the future of justice and, and equity. And, um, you know, it just goes to show that there's, yeah, she gave a speech about this. Let's listen in to Kamala Harris. Who they were representing. It's about whose voices they were channeling. Understand that. And is that not what a democracy allows? He says you don't silence the people. You do not stifle the people. You don't turn off their microphones when they are speaking. So uh, we cared a lot about the sanctity of, um, you know, our, our government and parliamentary proceedings um, during January 6th. Uh, but if it's a state, a state legislature. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to beep that out. <laughs> yeah. So uh, just an interesting kind of political thing. I mean. It's crazy because social media allows everybody a view into the lawmaking process, and it's very nasty usually. But now we're, everybody's doing stuff for the cameras, and I think that's overall a, kind of a bad thing. I don't well, know everyone's, it's one of those situations, again, where everyone's a hypocrite. Literally everybody. Right? You don't silence people. You don't stifle people. <laughs> You don't turn yeah, I mean, off I wonder, I, wonder what, I wonder what Kamala Harris would think if people from, like, the March for Life, the pro-lifers, like, were led in by socially conservative Republican congressmen or women to beat drums and have a bullhorn to try and affect policy change. Well, <laughs> domestic terrorists, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, it, kind of a weird story, uh, just a kind of in the tech stuff. So there's a, a former tech exec, uh, one of the founders of Cash App, Bob Lee, who was killed in San Francisco. Yeah, what happened? And uh, there? this was sort of so it made the news. You know, it was just kind of randomly and never fit into the narrative that San Francisco dangerous place. Uh, turns out he was essentially murdered by a fellow tech exec that he was hanging out with. Oh, so probably some kind of personal beef or whoa, 
Yeah, pretty wild stuff. Apparently, they they had driven in the car together, and um, yeah, just a crazy thing. I, there's a lot of things that just don't make sense. It seems like the world is um, the world is broken, David. <laughs> the world is broken. <laughs> it would appear so. It would appear so. Yeah, but what's not broken is uh, us here at Consumer Choice Radio being here uh, each and every week, and uh, we're gonna have some more stuff, uh, David. I think for. Next week, uh, perhaps let's do a little show in Lisbon. Give uh, yeah. a little bit of Portuguese flair to our program. Yeah, it'll be good. It'll be good. Although I, I can't say I know a single word of Portuguese, but I will have to, uh, I will have to brush up in the meantime. But indeed, you will. Obrigado, David, and uh, we'll we'll chat next week under the uh, Lisbon sun. Beautiful. <laughs>